0: Welcome to everyone joining us online. Today I'm going to speak to you about something that's a little difficult but good. Everybody needs to hear it. It's about relationships. One man said relationships are like flies on a screen door. Those who are in want out and those who are out want in. Very true, isn't it? However, let me ask you a question. One of the things that we try to do especially from the pulpit here at Trinity, is give you something you can put your hands on, something that's practical for your life, something that helps you. But if I were to ask you a question this morning, is there anywhere in God's Word that you could turn to specifically help your children, maybe a neighbor, co-worker, maybe your grandchildren or someone else in the church? Could you turn there and help them find principles for their life that would help them Build relationships with each other. And the answer is obviously, yes, there are places in God's Word. Where would you do that? Well, if you're reading the screen, Genesis 24 is a great place, isn't it? God's Word does have the answers for all that we need. And I hope it has the answer for my slide. It went. Paul says, all Scripture is breathed out by God. It's His breath. You believe that this morning? We we call that the process of inspiration. Inspiration, God breathing out his word through human authors, so that when pen hit paper, it was exactly what God wanted it to say. Exactly. To the T, to the letter, to the jot, to the tittle, to the very minuscule mark. Jesus pointed this out oftentimes. All Scripture, every Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable. Even the sections in Leviticus that you don't understand, believe me, they're profitable. By the way, a lot of people struggle with Leviticus and say, "That's the, what in the world is that book about? Well, listen to this. Leviticus is the neighborhood book. God was going to come down and live in the middle of the nation of Israel, and he wrote Leviticus to tell them how they were going to live with God as their neighbor you're to use the bathroom here, you're to do this, you're to do that, be holy as I am holy, because if not, I'll wipe you out. A lot of people read the Leviticus and all these little details and think, oh my goodness, this stuff's just driving me crazy. Well, when God was your neighbor, you'd want to make sure you did what He said, wouldn't you? All Scripture is profitable. For what? Well, number one, for teaching. That's to give us information like we're going to talk about this morning. It's also profitable for reproof. What is reproof? That is pointing out things in our life that are wrong. I know some of you may have heard this past week about a f- famed evangelical apologist that was brought down in scandal. Terrible, terrible. Traveling around a life on his own, uh, out of bounds of Christian ministry and church. Don't, I mean, you know, who, who held him accountable? What accountability was there? And it hits the news and everything. But, you know, God's Word is profitable for reproof. We we need reproof. We need people to challenge and ask us hard questions in our life. What is our relationship like with the Lord? What is our spiritual walk like? God's Word does that, by the way, when you preach through it, when you teach through it, when you read it and study it. It points out things in our life that are wrong. But thank God it doesn't just tell us what's wrong. Look at this. For correction... Teaching, showing us what's wrong, look at this, showing us how to get right. You know, this is displeasing, but this is how you change that and this is how you honor me. and for training in righteousness. that is our goal in our life and our, our desire in life, isn't it, to, to live righteously before God. Here's the purpose so that the man of God, the woman of God, the person of God, may be complete, mature, we could say. A Christian who knows how to take the Word of God and apply it to practical things in life, to know how to spend your money, to know how to do this and how to do that, and in this particular instance, how to build a relationship with someone so that we may be complete, equipped for every good work. So God's Word does have answers, and this morning I'm going to give you six principles, and you should write these down. Six principles for building a successful relationship. You say, well, how do I do that? Well, this is how I would recommend it. Somebody shared this with me one time. Every time you hear a sermon, you bring your Bible or your iPhone, however we do it today, and you take notes in every passage. Okay, so for example, this morning, Genesis chapter 24, you'd circle it, go to the top of your Bible and write down six principles for building a successful relationship. And you write these six principles down. It keeps you from sleeping in church, uh, number one. And number two, the next time you turn to Genesis 24, you'll be like, oh, you know, I remember that. Look at that. And my neighbor kid over here is dating somebody that I I tried to run that boy off a dozen times. I couldn't run him off. I'm going to go over there and talk to her about dating relationships. Look at these principles. I got those from church. It's good stuff. All right? I guess I've built it up now. I better prove it, hadn't I? Number one, number one, listen to the counsel of godly and wise people, especially your parents. Many tragedies in relationships could have been avoided if people would open their ears, especially to their parents, but to wise, godly counsel. You know, nobody likes to hear no Nobody likes to hear that's not the right person for you. But I want to tell you something. When it's the truth, it is a wonderful, wonderful thing. I'm going to read the first 10 verses of Genesis 24 because in this passage, we have a a father who is giving counsel to a servant about the kind of wife he wanted him to pick for his son. Now, Genesis 24, let me go ahead and get this on the table, was a story about specific people in God's plan to bring Jesus Christ into the world through the seed of Abraham, okay? Abraham was a particular man that God chose out of Ur, out of Mesopotamia, chose him to be the instrument that he would bring Jesus into the world. God had a special plan that from Abraham it would go to his son Isaac and then Jacob and then Judah and ultimately from the tribe of Judah all the way down to the person of Christ. That's the whole genealogy of the Bible, tied together through intertextuality to show that God knew exactly what he was doing. Now, when you come to passages like Genesis 24, you'll notice that God had a specific person in mind for this man, Isaac. Now, let me shatter the glass this morning. I get in trouble every time I say this. I'm going to take the sledgehammer to the glass. A lot of times Christians have this idea that there's only one right person for their life. Just one. And oftentimes you hear sermons preached on the perfect will of God. Some people refer to it as the dot. In other words, God has a perfect will for your life and it's a small dot. And if you don't get exactly on that dot, you're missing God's will for your life. Well, I'm going to shatter that glass this morning. That is just simply not true. There is not just one person that you could marry in your life and be successful. There's not just one job that you could have and be successful and happy. There's not just one thing. There are a multitude of things. We are free to choose, but we are responsible to choose wisely. There's not just one person and when that one person falls out of your life then your whole world shatters. you'll never find anybody else that's false expectation don't do that to yourself there are multiple multiple wonderful godly people out there you've heard your parents say your grandparents there's more fish in the sea there's a lot of fish in the sea folks but sometimes we're in a small pond when you get out in the pond there are a lot of people okay so I'm trying to tell you this to liberate you today because some people think that their whole life is ruined because of one failed relationship. That is just not true. And when you go to the Bible, it's not good to compare your life to Isaac because Jesus wasn't coming through you. God had to pick certain people for His prophets and and the fathers who were carrying the covenant promises because God had a lineage that He was going to bring the Messiah through. And it was crucial that he do that. But that, that is not right down to our life. Okay, have I beat that horse to death? Is it rolled over yet? Okay. If you want a good book on this, if it comes to my mind, I'll give you the title. Let's see. Ah, oh, here it is. It's by Gary Friesen. And the title of the book is Decision Making and the Will of God. Now, I don't agree with everything in Friesen's book. Okay, actually, I argued against some of his stuff in Uh, Some of the writings that I've had. But, freezing is dead on on this point. Dead on. So, we are free. Now, Genesis 24, 1. Now, Abram was old and well advanced in years. And the Lord had blessed Abram in all things. And Abram said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, Put your hand under my thigh, that I might make you swear by the Lord the God of heaven and the God of the earth that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. Let me stop there. Take your hand and put it up under my thigh. Do you all want me to illustrate this morning? I mean, I'm sure you don't. You know, men wore dresses dress-type material back in that day. Can you all picture this? Do you all not read the Bible this way? Abraham pulls his dress up and tells Eliezer, stick your hand, slide it all the way up my thigh, and put your hand there and swear this oath. We start going, hmm? What's that about? Well, there's a couple of things this could be. One, One person has suggested that the thigh bone was the largest bone in the body. And perhaps what Abraham was saying to him is, I'm giving you some counsel, Eleazar. This is my son that's about to get married. And if you pick the wrong woman, if you get a Las Vegas street woman from Isaac, I'm going to break the biggest bone in your body, and that's your leg. So you're going to swear to me, and if you bring back the wrong one, I'm going to snap it in half. That's a possibility. The other possibility was, it was actually a custom in those days, when you passed on the progeny of one to the other, that, you know, these are some, uh, this is the part of anatomy, and I'm not going to get into that, that we're talking about passing on lineage here. And perhaps when uh, Eleazar was doing this, it was a sign that there were children expected out of this relationship, and this is an important oath. So somewhere in between there, you can figure out this weird, put your hand up my thigh. Now, maybe I should have skipped that, right? Anyway, it's the Word of God, and it was important. Do not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites. Canaanites. You ever studied the Canaanites? Canaanites were living in the land of Israel during that time. Uh, Wild women. Wild women. You know, let me say this to the young men here. One of the things that attracts a young man is beauty, physical beauty, uh, things that that turn his eye on. Let me warn you, young men, that when uh, a person dresses in such a way to, uh, I'm trying to be nice here, to attract your attention to the physical features of their body only, red flags should be going up. Either, number one, they don't understand, spiritually mature, what they're doing. Or, number two, uh, there's issues. So you be very cautious and be very wise and listen to your parents and other people that give you information on uh, things like that, okay? I'm trying to be sensitive this morning. I didn't write out exactly what I was going to say, but I know where I'm going. You be careful. And, and girls, let me help you while I'm here. The guy that cares more about his car than he does his girl, you mark that buzzard off right now. Do yourself a favor. Do, do yourself a favor when he cares more about his car than he does you. Just scratch that sucker off a list and put him out in the chicken coop somewhere. Let, let, let somebody else have him. And you, you find somebody that cares more about you than they do their car. I can remember one time a guy was dating this girl, and she got his floor mat muddy. Well, you would have thought the whole world come to an end. I didn't have enough sense back in those days to go to her and say, ditch that crazy thing, get get rid of I mean, just obsessed about this car, obsessed about this, obsessed about that. Uh, that, that person, off the list. Okay, back to the point. Don't take a wife from the daughters of Canaanites. But go to my country and to my kindred, and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, Perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Abraham said to him, See to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, To your offspring I will give this land he will send his angel before you and shall take a wife from my son from there. Divine intervention. Special case. The angel of the Lord would pick this woman out and make her known. Don't expect it to be that clear, okay? Don't expect it to be that clear. But God will make it known. Verse 8, But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only you must... Not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abram, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. God was very, very concerned about the relationship that his... or Abram was very concerned about the relationship his son was about to enter into. Now, parents and grandparents, can I ring a bell this morning? You and I today are facing a relationship era that has never been faced before. We are in the era of social media. I want you to know that back in, and I'm not old, by the way. Don't let me portray myself as an old man. I'm on the right side of 50. I've only got a year, but I'm getting there. I'm not old. But I can remember just a few short years ago, before social media ever came about, I can remember being back in school when the only time that you had a chance to see somebody was at school because you lived far away. There's no connection unless you could get on the party line when the neighbors, especially if you had an older lady in the neighborhood, she liked to talk on the party line all the time. You couldn't get on the phone. Yeah, that's old rotary phone, you know, where you would dial the number. Then you moved up to the push button phone. You had no chance to see them or talk to them. In today's culture, there's no chance to get away. Images, pictures, drama, everything in life that shouldn't even be told, it's all out there. Apps to specifically pinpoint your child and try to link people up to them. Did you all know this? Did you all know that people are hired to listen in on your cell phone? You, don't, you didn't realize that, did you? Did you know that people actually... Listen in on your cell phone. When you sign the agreement that uh, you agree to their terms, you give them agreement to sign in and listen to you. If you don't believe me, how do you think they get all that advertising from you? And people in these social media companies are assigned to people who join networks. And what they do is they try to target this person, and they get paid based upon how much that person clicks on certain sites. They get money from these advertisers. And so today, there is a plerotha of information and relationships that come into the life of all of our kids and all of us, by the way. And as parents, we have to be very wise and even as friends about what goes on in another person's life, especially our children unmonitored social media unmonitored accounts unmonitored things like that you you don't know what's going on in the life of your kid and let me rattle your chain here for a minute i know we love our kids but don't you trust them as far as you could throw an angus bull by the tail you know why because they're just like you and me we're sneaky We're sly. We think we get away with things, don't we? We hide things. We don't want people to see them. Why? Because there's shame and there's guilt when we're pointed out. We need to be wise. Abraham was very serious about his son. Parents today sometimes take a hand-off approach. Would you believe me if I told you, as a pastor, I've heard people say, "Well, I hope the boy finds a good one. Just whatever it is, you know." I'm sitting here thinking, as a, as a Christian parent, we should have involvement in the life of our kids. I know people who aren't even saved that have more involvement than that in the life of their children. Now, I'm not saying be a dictator and keep your daughter in the home until she's 65 years old before you let her date. Not at all. And I'm not opposed to dating, by the way. Does that shock you? I think, I think kids should date. I think they should date and get to know each other. How else are they going to get to know each other? Uh, and no, I don't support this arranged marriage where you go off and she picks somebody and drag them back home. That's a culture in the East that we tried to adopt here in the West and probably not the best for us. We're, we're Americans. We're a little weird, aren't we? But listen to wise counsel, especially from your parents. And this is why a local church is so important as well. I mean, listen to me. Invite people to speak into your life. doesn't mean you have to listen to everything they tell you but they may just save your hide. Number two, pray, pray, pray. Pray that God would bless. Pray that God would bring somebody in your life. You know, you should go through Genesis 24. There's 67 verses, so obviously I can't read every verse, but this would be a good devotional. How many times was prayer mentioned in Genesis chapter 24? I'm going to show you one that's brought out that you don't see right off. But look in verse 62. Now Isaac had returned from Ber-Lah-Roy. Ber-Lah-Roy? roy is that? Well, go back in Genesis and study that. That was a place of worship and prayer. While Eleazar was away looking for his wife, Isaac had went there to worship and pray. Notice what he does. And he was dwelling in a Negev. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. So he was thinking, praying. He, he didn't have a cell phone. He didn't get a text message from Eleazar that he was coming back with a bride. He was just, Lord, if it's your will that this works out, then you know, let it work out. And Lord, if it's not your will, then break it off. You know, that's hard to pray, isn't it? Isn't, isn't that hard? Especially when you are so enraptured with someone and you, you're blind You know, Anytime you start driving, somebody teaches you about the blind spots. You know where it's at, by the way? It's in that passenger's mirror right there near the rear corner. It's a blind spot. If you don't get that little mirror and put on your mirror, you can't see right there. You can see all around it. You can't see that spot. You'll run right into something. You know that every person has blind spots? This one right here has blind spots. There's, There's things that I can't see. I need other people to help me see. And so we pray and we say, Lord, if there's something there that I can't see, I'm trusting you to make this known to me. And if it doesn't work, break it off. As hard as it may be, Lord, just break it off right now before it starts. And if you're not involved in a serious relationship this morning, or if you are and you're not at marriage yet, I would consider telling you to really search this out. Pray, pray, pray. Number three... Carefully look for qualities that reveal character traits. Now, when people are dating, they're always on their best behavior. Some people say that what you see in dating is the best you're ever going to get. Because what that person is doing is they're putting their best foot forward. They're trying to make themselves really, really appear to be the right fit And so what what you're seeing there is probably about as good as it's going to get unless God intervenes to help and change in marriage. So pay very close attention, especially in the getting to know each other stage, about different qualities. Now, what are some of the qualities uh, here from Rebecca's life and what Eliezer looked for? Well, first of all, she was a hard worker. If you read verses 15 through 21, he had ten camels... Camels can drink about 15 gallons of water. 10 times 15 is how much? That's 150, isn't it? Is that 150? Y'all, are y'all awake? Okay, 150. Y'all ever carried 150 gallons of water? Uh, if, if you haven't, you should get a five-gallon bucket, fill it up, and uh, make 150-gallon trips back. How many is that? 15? That's more than 15. That's a bunch. Thirty. Thirty trips with a five gallon bucket to a to a camel. And then somebody else wanted some and then you had to carry it home. What's this telling you about Rebecca? She wasn't lazy, was she? She was not lazy. Let me let me ring a bell this One person you don't want to marry is a lazy person. No, I'm serious. I know we all laugh. I, I'm as serious as I can be. A lazy person, a slothful person, is one of the worst people you could ever marry. You know why? Because somebody's got to do the work in marriage. And uh, if they just sit on the couch all the time and flip through the remote control and give orders and boss and get this and get that, wait on this, wait on this, I mean, they'll frazzle you to death. And the same thing's true with a man. You know, one of my top questions I ask uh, in, in marriage counseling, pre-marriage counseling, when a man and a woman get together and they're, they're sitting there looking at each other and their eyes are all googly, here's the first question I ask to the girl. Can you cook? Can you cook? And she always goes, oh, Raymond noodles. So then I, I like to ask this question. What, what do y'all think you'll eat when you get married? Are you, and and, you know, and honestly, just to, my, my wife wasn't the best cook when we first got married. Now she's stellar. What a dinner. You know, you're, you're always in danger when your wife cooks so good that you don't think your kids are going to want to ever leave home. But they, they will. But nevertheless, you, you ask her. You know, I, I ask her. I say, are you willing to learn? And if that girl looks over, and I've had this happen before, I have had people say, I don't cook. Mm-hmm. So I look at the guy then I say, "Can you cook?" <laughs> Cause believe me, somebody's going to have to eat. Now, I'm sorry for that being so practical, but I'm just right down where it's at this morning. Another character trait you should look for is how they handle money. You know how big that is? What do they do with what do they do with money? Are they in debt? Do they have no concept of the reality of money? Are they financially able to provide for marriage? You know, this is a huge concept. What, what are their views on debt? Do they think that they should go out and drive a $50,000 car and live in a $4,000 house? The car is ten times more valuable than the home? I mean, what? So these are things that you need to know. I'm, I'm not marrying them. You are. So I think this is crucially important. What, what is another thing? Well, I think this one is important. Look at verse 16. They better be attractive to you. I heard a preacher one time say the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life. You know what he said? It doesn't matter what the person looks like. And I just thought, what? It doesn't matter what the person looks like. Who would ever give that kind of advice? No, listen to me. The person needs to be beautiful in your eyes. And you know, what one person may see is beautiful, another person doesn't. But this person ought to be physically attractive to you. They should be attractive to you in other ways. Don't marry somebody who's not attractive to you. That's disaster. But Rebecca was beautiful. This man saw it. If you look in verse uh, 18, she was generous. She wasn't greedy. She gave more than was needed. And she offered more. She was a self starter she was also pure. You see verse 16, this woman was observed to be pure. Now let me ask you a question. How, how, did, how did he know that? Well, apparently he could tell by looking. Be very cautious. I've already pounded on that drum, haven't I? Be very cautious. Now let me stop here for a minute because I need to say this. Because church people aren't real. Real. Y'all ever heard that song by Casting Crowns, The Stained Glass Masquerade? If you've never heard it, you should Google that song and read the words. It's a picture of a poor young girl walking into a church. She's had a terrible life. And she looks around at all these perfect, properly prim people with not a problem one in their life. She's looking around at them and she's going, Oh my goodness, if they only knew me. If they only knew me, I don't belong here. I, I need. Let me shatter that glass this morning. I would be, I would not be astonished if half to three fourths of the room today, and I. By the way, I've done this in a men's conference before when I've been invited to preach. If more than half to three fourths of the people in this room did not enter into marriage vows pure, in other words, they were active before they were married now that's not God's plan okay that, that's not God's plan some people don't have a choice okay some things happen in life and people don't have a choice it was brought on against their will but I want to shatter the idea that a marriage can't be successful just because it didn't begin right or because something happened earlier in life that is simply not true true I know plenty of successful marriages that are fully functional, operating, and healthy today that were entered into by people who did not enter marriage pure. Now, there's baggage. needs to be addressed. needs to be honest. needs to be out there. But I'm going to tell you something. To stick your head in the sand and not address that issue, you're asking for huge, huge problems. So these are things in life that we have to deal with. So carefully look for these character traits in a person's life. Number four, whew, I can't repeat this one enough. Never rush into something that leads to permanence. You know, this was true in my life. I want, to, I want you to hear me for a minute. My wife laughs whenever I tell this story. I loved her and love her now more than I did then. But I was a young man didn't understand what a marriage vow was, was married by a preacher with a peg leg, had had a big wooden foot heel on his foot where he could stand up even because they had to adjust his leg and he would talk. And I can remember him standing there on the wedding day, clicking, clicked his heel. And he looked at me, and this is what he said right in front of everybody. I'm sitting there just as nervous as I can be. I'm, you know, you're sitting there going, oh my gracious, is this real? I mean, cause here was my pre-marriage counseling. Are you born again? Yep. All right, good. I'll marry you. The next day at the or the next time we saw at the altar, that man looked me in the face and said, "John, she is now your responsibility for the rest of your life, not her dad's, from this moment forward." I was like, whew. I don't think I had ever felt the gravity of that. Your responsibility. Her college debt is now your college debt. Her clothes, her life, her car, everything about her is now yours. You have her for the rest of your life. She is your responsibility. Now, folks, one man said this. He said, other than your salvation and trusting Christ as your Savior, the second most important decision you'll ever make is who you marry. It's who you marry. And I want you to know this morning, that is so crucial, so important. One man said, love may be blind, but marriage is a real eye-opener. And that is true, isn't it? So we have to be very cautious and never rush into anything that leads to permanence. Take your time. Don't let Cupid's arrow overshadow wise counsel, prayer, looking for character traits. You know, be patient. If it's going to work out, it's going to work out. If the person, is, if you have to grab them right now or they're going to be gone in the arms of another, By all means, let them go. And let me add this right here. If this person is not totally infatuated with you, leave. For you and you alone. Leave. Okay. I'm in pre-marriage now. Some of us never got this, did we? Number five, carefully notice relationships among family members. You all should write that down and go read it. If you know how this story works out, This dear woman uh, had a brother whose name was Laban. And her father was a bit of a rascal as well. But later on in the account of Genesis, God is going to send Jacob back to her brother, whose name was Laban, to work him over and to teach him what it meant to do somebody wrong. If you've never read that story, you should do that. But when you are involved in somebody's life and you're searching, you should be looking for things And noticing things about their life. Gary Chapman wrote a book, Five Things I Wish I Had Known Before I Said I Do. And one of the principles in this book is on the subject that like mother like daughter and like father like son is not a myth. And his point was not that the daughter and the mother are exactly alike, you know, that's not the case or that the son and the father are exactly alike. But here was the point. They have been raised in that their whole life. And don't you dare think that that's not influential on them. Now sometimes, thankfully, a kid can look at their parent's life and go, I can't believe mom is like that. I'm not going to be that way. Or a son may look at his father and say, I can't believe that dad is like that. You know, I love dad and all, but I totally disagree on the way he he does that. I'm not going to do that. By the way, that happens in life. Did you know that's how children and parents are different? But don't dare think for a minute that you're going to walk away unimpacted by their family. Adrian Rogers used to say, if you marry into a family where the father-in-law is unsaved, just remember this, you've got the devil as a father-in-law. Now, that's pretty harsh, isn't it? But what does God's Word say? You're either a believer or you're not a believer. You're either a child of God or John 8, 44. You're a child of who? The devil. You're in one of two families. You're going to marry into one of two families. So you better make sure you don't want the devil as a father-in-law. Unfortunately, some people get him as a parent, don't they? is it terrible? And while I'm on that, you know and this is my next point but let me just go ahead and say it right now you better notice their spiritual life and that's my next point make certain that you are spiritually physically and emotionally compatible now let me plow into this first one right quick spiritually compatible you all have heard this quoted a lot second corinthians do not be unequally yoked together that can apply in business you know, you've got a Christian business person and an unsaved business person trying to do business principles and practices. Sometimes that doesn't mesh. This is especially true in relationships of dating and marriage. You know, folks, just, just a couple of things I'm going to throw out. If you're a believer and you know God's Word at all, you know that you're supposed to give to God's work. You're supposed to give money to the, to the church to carry on the ministry. If you're a wife and you know that and you've practiced that all your Christian life and you marry a man who's not a believer, he's going to come in and go, what are you doing? You don't give that money away. I need a truck. And, and the money that you're giving to the church, I'm going to use that to buy my truck. That's my truck payment. Don't you dare do that. And the, the wife's going to go, well, well, now wait a minute. I, I always give to the Lord. He says, that's a waste. If I want to hear a preacher, I'll turn on a TV somewhere. I'm not giving to that. You've got this instant conflict. Sunday morning, y'all ready for this? Sunday morning, the, the wife is wanting to come to church and be fed God's Word and hear God's Word and be encouraged by God's people. And the husband says, no, we're not doing that. We're going away this weekend. We need, to, we need to get away. She says, well, okay, we'll do it one weekend. Well, that was fun. The next weekend, well, I work all week. I need to get away on Sunday. She says, but I need to go to church. He says, you're married to me now. What's more important, me or... I mean, you want us to break up? We need time together. I work 60 hours a week. Come with me. What does she do? She goes with him. Then they buy a boat. Y'all want me going down the list? And then the only day he has to fish is on Sunday because Saturday has to change oil and cut the grass. They fish all day Sunday. Guess what happens? They end up dying of old age if they make it that long. And they've never spent any involvement, investing in eternity. God was not central. By the way, folks, if you don't think that's how things happen, I'm telling you real stories from pastoral counseling with unnamed people. That's how it goes. Make certain you are spiritually, spiritually compatible. Let me tell you another thing, and I'll just toss this out as well. If you're in a relationship with someone who's taking you spiritually down, that should be red flag number one that this person doesn't have your best interest. Girls, you you hear me closely. A guy that loves you will wait until the wedding altar before he ever tries to take advantage of you. Ever. And if he pulls this stuff on you, well, if you love me, if you love me, Give that one to the chicken coop as well, because he doesn't know what love is. he only knows what lust is. And maybe you need to correct him in his life and give him a lesson on what that is, and see if he responds. And if he doesn't respond, whoop, out of there, Jack. And the same thing's true with a guy and a girl. It's worse that way, by the way. Because guys have little control unless they decide it way in advance and put the peg in the ground. I am going to remain pure. If you don't do that, you won't. If you wait to the moment to make the decision on what you're going to do, you won't do it. So make that now. Spiritually compatible. Physically, make sure that you're attracted to each other. And emotionally, what does this mean? Emotionally compatible. What is you know, can can someone who's quiet be with somebody who's Gabby? Well, obviously. Does that bother you if you're quiet, that the person you're with is Gabby? You know, I've actually had people tell me they were quiet. I love the, the fact that my husband's Gabby because he keeps me entertained all the time. It's up to me. I wouldn't say a word. And so sometimes opposites do attract like that. But you have to make sure that you're prepared for that. So... Here are six principles that I hope will help you in your relationship building. And if you don't take advice from these, and you don't see this, you may be headed for a dangerous road. But I'm done with that now. And I want to talk to the people who have already said I do. Come up real close on the camera this morning because I want to ask you a question. You're married And this morning, maybe you say, I am miserable. I'm miserable. I don't know what to do. I think I've married the wrong person. As a matter of fact, this week, I came across two articles. One was on why you will marry the wrong person, and the other one was everybody marries the wrong person. So I read this article from a lady And I want to share this with you because I think it will be encouraging to you. She says, I recently read an article titled, Why You Will Marry the Wrong Person. And it intrigued me. I've never really heard this statement from anyone other than those who are suffering in the current state of their marriage. It seems as though this thought is the go-to statement when things get tough in marriage and someone wants out. It was definitely my go-to thought when I was struggling as a young bride. You see, my husband Greg and I had been married less than six months when we began to struggle in our marriage relationship. We had been so anxious to get married and enjoy our life together that when things didn't seem to be working out blissfully, we both began to wonder if we had married the wrong person. I've since come to understand the truth that can be found in this statement. As it turns out, we all... Marry the wrong person. When we fall in love and choose our spouse, it's amazing how that special man or special woman suddenly has the ability to bring out all of our flaws to the surface when we're married. You know the imperfections we work so hard to protect and keep hidden? It is uncanny how we can work diligently to present only the best of who we are when we're dating, And then suddenly, that special someone in our world can begin to expose the issues we've brought with us from childhood and the selfish ways we tend to interact in our relationships. Daily interactions have a way of revealing the weaknesses we never displayed prior to saying, I do. Daily interactions have a way of displaying or revealing weaknesses we never displayed prior to saying, I do. It's easy to keep our character flaws covered up when we aren't living in the most intimate covenant relationship on earth, marriage. But, she goes on to say, but when we are dating, we are putting our best foot forward to cover up our wounds, but married life has a way of exposing us. Our spouse suddenly has the ability to know and make all of our flaws and struggles appear. And we don't like it. She says, I know I sure didn't. Candidly, I knew my flaws were there, but I didn't know exactly what to do about them. Isn't that the case of most Christians? Most people are struggling. I know I've got flaws. But what are they and what do I do with them? Listen to what she says. So I worked especially hard to cover up my imperfections. That's Christian act number one. Just pretend like I don't have it and I'm, oh, I'm hell there. Me? No. I worked especially hard to cover up my imperfections. Amazingly, it didn't take long for Greg to begin to help me display these issues in our relationship. Men have a way of helping us. Helping you, don't they, ladies? And ladies have a way of helping their husbands. Of course, I had the same effect on him. He had issues too. We all do. So there was six months into my marriage dreaming of how I could run away and return back to my mother. I was a 24-year-old woman who was scared to death. I hadn't heard anyone talk about this part of marriage, and I couldn't decide if the problem was all me or all Greg In light of the fact that Greg was the son of a world-renowned marriage expert, Gary Smalley, I concluded that the problem must be me. And this led me to find a counselor. I knew the process was probably going to hurt because I desired to change several of my well-worn habits. And as strange as it sounds, I needed to refocus because in a feeble effort to comfort myself with something familiar, I was subconsciously recreating some of the dysfunction that I grew up with. In other words, when something happened in her life, it triggered her and she responded in ways that she did in her childhood. After just a few weeks of counseling, I began to realize that my flaws weren't the only source of marital stress. Greg brought his own baggage into our marriage as well. And every woman goes, Amen. By the way, once again, can we be real this morning? And I mean, let's be real. Whatever concept you have of this perfect family or this perfect, perfect Christian couple or this These people that have it all together and, oh, don't they just walk with God every day and there's never sin or problems. Can we bust that glass too? I have never met a Christian one like that. As a matter of fact, the best marriage counseling books I've ever read from experts, every one of them talk about their marriage being a disaster. Gary Chapman and his wife almost split. Gary Smalley and his wife almost split. You know, sometimes we get personal here. Let me, let me share something with you personal because there's no shame here. There's a point in mine and Karen's marriage when we first got married, we agreed to split and divorce. I'll go my way, you go your way. So let me tell you something. I know exactly what I'm talking about this morning when I say pain. But by the grace of God... We started getting our life straightened out and walking with God and getting involved in a church and getting involved in the life of other believers, parents who take involvement in your life and care for you and know that you're broken and you need help and give you marriage resources and pray for you and encourage you. And you know what happened? God put our marriage back together. I said, you didn't know that about me, did you? You say, what? I didn't know that about you. Well, you never ask. And, And the more that I know about you, you remember I told you this a long time ago, if you knew who I were, you wouldn't be in here listening to me, and if I knew who you were, I wouldn't be in here preaching to you. But this is the situation we're all in, but by the grace of God. Now, what does this woman go on to say? She says, as I began to understand who I was and what I brought to the relationship, Greg also began to understand who he was and what he brought to the relationship. Counseling proved to be the scariest and greatest thing for me. Greg and I had to throw out the notion that marriage was always going to be as magical as Disneyland. We made peace with the reality that there would be Main Street USA moments in our relationship. Still other times we could expect to feel like we were on the Matterhorn bobsleds hanging on for dear life. Some of you may be there this morning. So if you catch yourself saying, quote, I married the wrong person, I challenge you to take the focus, listen carefully, I challenge you to take the focus off of your spouse and put it back on yourself. And she puts in quotations here. Please note this article is not referring to an abusive marriage. It is written about marriages that are experiencing a difficult season. If you're in an abusive marriage today and you're listening to me, you run as fast as you can. You, you run as fast as you can. If there's somebody is physically abusing you, you leave. Leave. Get help. If you're an abuser this morning, stop. Stop it. Stop it. She goes on to write, your husband or wife is clearly revealing something about you that isn't comfortable because you would prefer that part of who you are to remain concealed. Another side of the Christian life is not that we don't like for people to expose who we are. Why? I'm going to preach a sermon on that one day. The false image of Christianity. Why don't we want people to know who we are? Why don't, why don't we want people to know we like certain things and don't like certain things or we do this and don't do that? Or Why? Are we afraid? Is it, is it man's approval? What, what is What is it? Anyway, pray and ask the Lord that He would have you, what He would have you do to Get help for your current marriage situation. You know, if you're catching yourself saying, I married the wrong person, I challenge you to take the focus off your spouse and put it on yourself. Pray and ask the Lord what He would do, have you do to keep your current marriage situation. You too may find that you're headed into counseling. By the way, how many Christians refuse to go to counseling? Refuse to talk to somebody in their church? Refuse to reach out to a pastor? And ask for help. I, I Polarotha. And by the way, you know, marriage counseling, Christian counseling, secular counseling. Counseling centers are full today of help. Sometimes it's called coaching now. Isn't it nice how we can change these words? If I, if I term it as coaching, then I'm coming along beside you, helping you. If it's counseling, I'm across the desk, not walking with you. I'm telling you what to do, so I like Christian coaching. Hmm, I might have to change that. Why? What is our job as a Christian, just to sit back and pour out information on a spreadsheet? Like you do one, two, three, four. or is it to get down there beside the person and say, "Listen to me. I I understand what you're going through, and I want you to know something. There's hope. If you're married to a person this morning and you say that there's no hope, you're wrong. There is hope. You want to know why? Because there's God." And I have seen Almighty God change the gnarliest, meanest people you've ever seen in your life into gracious people. I've seen God take selfish, self centered, self serving people and turn them into others centered people. He does that. Not the counselor. Are you listening? Not the coach. And I want you to hear me for a minute, not you. If you go into your marriage, even right now, and you think that I'm going to do this and change that person, you're in for a big disappointment. You're not going to do that. Only God can change that person, but He can do it through you by the way you respond and the way you act. So pray and ask God what He would do. You may find that you two are headed for counseling. There are all kinds of resources, but take hope in knowing that it's not always about the person that you married. Take hope in knowing that it's not always about the person you married, but it's often about the person you can change in your marriage. And that's you. You know, maybe you're here this morning, you're listening, and you say, okay... Now what? I mean, I I think about my marriage, and it's not where it ought to be. And you're saying that instead of focusing on changing the other person or trying to change them, I need to change them. How do I do that? Okay, here you go. Psalm 139. Listen to what David prayed. And by the way, that's a fascinating psalm. I need to preach on that one too. In Psalm 139, David goes through there and talks about everything God knows. And then he says this, Search me, O God, and know my thoughts. Well, wait a minute, David. You've already said in Psalm 139, God knows everything. He knows this. He knows that. He knows that. Are you saying God doesn't know your thoughts? It's not what David's saying at all. He's saying, God, I already know you know my thoughts. Search me, O God, and know in an intimate way so that you can show me what my problems are. And, And Lord, when you show me what my problems are, And by the way, let let me share this with you. A lot of times the problems in marriage is me. Me deep down. But I'm escaping by just pointing to the other. But David says, search me, O God, and know me, and then show me what it is in me and cleanse me from it. Change me, God. And you know, when you get alone with God and you spread your heart out before Almighty God and you start saying, oh God, show me. Am I just concerned about myself? Am I selfish? Does it always have to be my way? Am I doing and acting in ways that are displeasing to you? And Am I treating that person wrong and not not giving them grace like You are? Am I not showing them love and mercy like You would? Lord, are You trying to use me to change their life and I'm unbendable? Lord, am I I so proud that I can't break myself to be used by You to help them? And oh God, if that's true, then humble me, change me, And use me for your glory, even at my expense. You know, one of my favorite speakers said this. He said, when I get up in the morning and my feet hit the floor, this is my prayer. God, glorify me, glorify yourself today through me in my life, marriage, and work. And do it. At my expense. <sighs> do it at my expense. Glorify yourself. And do it at my expense. And I'm going to tell you something. When we can get out of bed. And we can pray that to God. To let us be taken advantage of. To let us not have the glory. To let us not always be the one that's right. I want to tell you folks something. You better get ready for a great Valentine's Day because life will change and God can change you. Father, this morning, thank you for your word. I pray that you'll use it in our life. Strengthen our marriage, oh God. For those here who feel like they have broken and shattered marriages, Lord, do what only you can. Search deep into the depths of the heart. For those, Lord, this morning that have not entered into a marriage relationship, oh God, I pray you'll give them the wisdom and the understanding to know what to look for and how to have a successful relationship. Give them the courage they need to say no and even to walk away or even to run. And Lord, help them to pray and be dependent upon you to open the doors into their life. So, Shatter the strongholds and take away all the things that drive us from You. And humble us, Lord, that we might be at Your feet, asking for Your grace and mercy in our life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless you.